We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Amen. It is great to hear the Church of God sing. Now let's just take a moment and uh, just trace uh, the narrative uh, of what we just sang as a church. We sang that uh, there's victory in the life of Jesus. Um, and then we sang that, that that is our story. And uh, I know that a lot of times I don't feel like that's my story. And so I would guess that some of you have come here this morning going, I don't know if that's my story. I don't always feel victorious in Jesus as we sometimes are governed by our feelings, right? And then we sang, oh Lord, you have been so good to me. You've given breath in my lungs. We're just saying how he's been so kind to us. Just even follow that narrative. Isn't that the case in your life? Like, whew, I don't feel victorious. Lord, thank you that I can, I can say you've been good to me. Through the struggles, the trials, temptations, you've used them all not for evil, but for my good. And so uh, before we just like rush on or move to the next thing, let's just pause, let's remain standing. See if you can identify that story in your life. Identify where you've doubted um, the nature of God and his victorious desire. Where you've doubted that, that sense of, you know what, I, I've forgotten that he's good in my life. Because I've been so focused on this trial or whatever. Let's just pause, each pray on your own, and then I'll close this in prayer, okay? So, Lord, by faith, we thank you that that is our story. And your son, Jesus, he pursued us. And uh, despite our shortcomings, despite our sin, uh, despite our, our continual failure, Lord, we thank you that, that, uh, that he continues to draw us near, uh, to welcome us back to himself and to um, grant us fellowship with you again, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone in here who's feeling defeated, who's stuck in their sin, uh, who, uh, who just has a notion of getting through life. Lord, I pray that you administer in great ways to, to that person, to us as a whole. Move now, we pray, through your word and by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for just thoughtfully and prayerfully leading, leading us in worship. Uh, kids, at this time, you're dismissed to the gathering lights. Uh, ages seven on, on down can head on back with Mr. Tim and Miss Susie Allen. They will be teaching on one of Paul's shipwreck narratives. They got a little water and monsoon craft. And Tim, if you teach him the Buckeye fight song, we know that you weren't abiding in the lesson, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, would you join me uh, in Daniel chapter 10 and 11? 
want to welcome you if you're visiting with us. We've been in the book of Daniel, and we are round and third and coming on home. I'm sure yesterday, um, I'm sure yesterday you were probably doing some yard work, something outside. It was beautiful yesterday, wasn't it? It's a great day. But now today you're in Daniel chapter 10 and 11, two of the hardest, most strange chapters in the Bible. So um, get excited. And uh, I promise, look at me for a second. I promise, guys, if you hang with these two chapters, if you hang with me, the Lord will feed your soul. We believe that every time we open this book and read, and teach and explain out of it, that God speaks. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And so I know that, that he is going to use these two chapters in your life today because of the promise of God through his word that it won't return void. And so I, I'm excited. I hope you are. Are you ready? Let's get started. We got a lot of work to do. Okay. So Daniel 10, 11, and 12 are one unit of thought. Okay. They're like one, one big dream. Chapter 10 provides the context. 11 provides the content. Okay. And 12 is the conclusion of the book, which we'll do next week. Okay. This morning we're doing 10 and 11. And it kind of, it kind of works like this. Okay. We're going to start in 11 and it's, it talks about earthly conflict, earthly wars. We're going to see all these things that you can see with your own eyes and you can see it happen, uh, happened in the past. And if you would like, go into your world history class, high schoolers, you can read about it there too. It actually happened, okay? And then chapter 10, we're going to like peel back the, the mask. We're going to take it off and we're going to actually see what's underneath. 11 is earthly conflict that you can see with your eyes and 10 is spiritual conflict that you can't go to like, your, your world history class and just read about in a book because it's things that happen in the spiritual realm. And so um, if you're new here or if you've never talked about um, angels and demons and spiritual warfare, buckle up. I promise uh, we're not going all weird or wacko, but the Bible really speaks about it and gives us great direction in and through it. So that's where we're headed this morning. Let's start with 11, okay? Not 10, let's start with 11. The title of the message today is Forever Reigns. And um, the, the, the summary of today in a sentence is this, that through heavenly and earthly conflicts, so that's 10 and 11, trying to capture it, through heavenly, 10, and earthly, chapter 11, earthly conflicts, our God reigns supreme and his kingdom never ends. And that just aligns with what we've been saying throughout Daniel. It's the message of Daniel. So let's start with 11. Um, here's the content of the dream. Here we go. So four kingdoms are to come. It's going to feel like we're flying through this chapter, but that's okay. Okay. So uh, some of this is not necessarily new material. This will, this will sound familiar to you who've been sitting under Daniel for a while, okay? So Daniel, uh, these kingdoms, they come and they, um, they cause great trouble for Israel. And the message to Daniel is this is what's going to happen in the future, okay? You can see these kingdoms come with your own eyes. And so the first one that's going to come, just kind of, Look at it with your eyes in, in the passage of Scripture, verses 1 through 4. Basically, the message to Daniel is the Medo-Persian Empire is going to come take over you and Greece. And this is according to the plan of God. Okay? So verses 1 through 4, two empires. Real quickly, four verses, even though it makes up like a lot of years in the history of time, okay? Then let your eyes kind of bracket off verses 5 through 20, okay? The messenger says, hey, um, Egypt is going to come. Syria is going to come. It's going to be very challenging for the people of God. 
the nation of Israel. Okay, 21 through 36, a big portion of chapter 11. It's a long chapter. He's, uh, he says there's going to be especially one person. He's going to be a monster to the people of Israel. Historically, we know this guy is Antiochus Epiphanes, which we studied him a little bit ago. Remember, uh, this is the guy who um, brought in a pig, a swine into the temple, had the, the pig sacrificed, and it was like a desecration. Um, and the nation of Israel mourned. It was like the worst thing you could have done to the people of God, uh, violating the most sacred space to them. So it's all about this guy. And then there's this empire to come in this vision, um, led by the Antichrist, verses 36, all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 45. So there's our four kingdoms, okay? Now, you could Google this or go home and like buy a really big expensive commentary and like read articles upon articles of the history of this. And, and just for our time together this morning, I thought instead of giving a large history lesson on the three kingdoms that came and Antiochus Epiphanes, and then talking more about the Antichrist, which we covered a little bit, I thought that we would just ask a few questions um, based off of chapter 11, okay? So here's a few questions coming your way. If you're taking notes, you can just jot these down. If you don't have anything to write with, they're up on the screen for you. You can snap a picture of it on your on your fancy phones. So here we go. First question would be this. Why did God give his people such clear prophecies concerning their future suffering with wars and kingdoms that will overtake them? We see this happening time and time again, that God is telling his people of what is to come. And a lot of it is not good. And it's like a bitter pill to swallow. Why is he doing this? Answer, uh, to help them endure and to, to, to function with proper expectations. It's going to help them endure. So I remember, friends, uh, in eighth grade, uh, I was playing defense on the point guard. I was on the basketball team, and we were full court pressing them the whole game. And they got so frustrated with us that one of the guys on the team set a, 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 a full court like screen on me. He was waiting for me at half court. And instead of holding his hands down, he held them up here. And I turned and he popped me right in the nose, right? And my nose busted in eighth grade. And I had to go get surgery on it. Otherwise, I wasn't going to get prop, proper like um, air to my brain. Some of you think that I don't have proper channels to my brain. You can not laugh and stay seated, okay? I got it fixed, mostly, okay? But in eighth grade, all right, I went to go get surgery on my nose. Everyone's looking at my nose right now. I'm a little self-conscious, okay? It worked out, I promise. Okay, and the doctor, I'm, I'm on like the surgery bed, and he goes, now, I'm going to hold this thing over your, your nose and your mouth. This is gas, and, and um, I'm going to ask you to count to 10, and after, uh, after I do this, then you're going to go to sleep. And I said, oh, okay, sounds good. I, you know, I like sleeping or whatever. And he put it on my face. And I went, one, two, blah. <laughs> then I never had that done yet. Right? And I was out. Okay? Point. Um, he told me what was happening. And then he did it. Um, I, I had proper expectations. Can you imagine if he didn't tell me what was going to happen and I had no idea what was happening. You know the amount of anxiety that I would have felt in that moment? Feeling my consciousness slip away from... I would have felt like I was dying. I would have like, you know, all limbs, what's happening to me, right? But the doctor was kind and gracious to me. He gave me proper expectations. And I knew, okay, I'm just going to fall asleep. I'll just... Right? In a similar way, this is what God was doing to his people. He was letting them know that they were going to suffer in the future. And you might think, oh, that's just like for the Old Testament stuff. That's for the old, you know, Daniel and, and the Israelites. I suffer, Mike. I wish God would have like helped me 
because um, I face challenges and trials. And, and Jesus actually said something very similar. In John 16, 33, he prepped us so that we wouldn't be surprised by suffering, so that we wouldn't be anxious. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, guess what? And this is a promise. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So friends, suffering, persecution, trials, whatever you want to call it, um, is a part of life. It's a part of the Christian life. And it would help us all to not be surprised by it when it came along. And to bank on the Old Testament, to bank on Jesus' promise. Question number two, what does chapter 11 teach us about God? Right, so we're, we learned, we saw all those wars that were to come. It teaches us that God is sovereign and omniscient. That our God, he knows the future down to the smallest detail. So history, after that vision is given to Daniel, begins to unfold and, and kingdom after kingdom. They come and they go. The Medo-Persian Empire comes, it goes. Greece comes, it goes. Egypt comes, it goes. That's how things roll. They live, they die, they win, they lose. And our God isn't surprised by any of that. He knows it all. What, what does that teach us about God? That he's sovereign. Uh, what does chapter 11 teach us about mankind? Okay. It teaches us that mankind is fallen and sinful and bloodthirsty and has a lust for possessions. Check this out. This is from uh, the Canadian Army Journal. It was published in the 1970s. Um, I just, I'm using it because I like the way they framed it, but some of the numbers are, are certainly outdated, okay? Um, listen to this. It says, since 3600 BC, so that's before the time of Christ, the world has known only 292 years of peace. During this period, there's been 14,531 large and small wars. 3,641,000 people have been killed. The value of destruction, catch this, the value of destruction would pay for a golden belt around the world 100 miles wide and 33 feet thick. Since the world cast out the Prince of Peace, okay, so now we're fast-forwarding to um, the time of Christ. Our Lord Jesus, uh, there has not been one year the world has known peace. In the last 500 years, England, again, these are outdated. England has engaged in 78 wars. France, 71. The Netherlands, 23. Spain, 64. Australia, 52. Turkey, 43. Germany, 23. Italy, 25, China, 11, Denmark, 20, Sweden, 26, Poland, 30, Russia, 61, Japan, 9. European nations alone have engaged in 74 wars in the United States, even though it's relatively a young uh, country, and by comparison, has engaged in 74 wars. Mankind is inhumane towards man. And even though our music and all of our movies are geared towards love, mankind is the most violent creature there is. And it's only man who kills just to kill. Lions don't do that. They kill to eat. But mankind just kills. That's what we learn about man in chapter 11. What does chapter 11 teach us about Christ? 
If you would, if you have your Bibles or smartphone, uh, turn to Psalm chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, this shows the posture of heaven, um, the posture of our Lord while these things are happening. He's not rattled when Russia uh, invades Ukraine. He's not rattled when you're filling up your car and you look at the gas prices. He's not rattled by our president's good or bad decisions or anything else. Verse 2 of Psalm 2. It says, or I'm sorry, verse 1 of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Watch this. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, the holy hill. Psalm 2. So Christ's kingdom is not like the Medo-Persians or the Greeks or, or Egypt or Syria or anything that comes and goes. The nature of his kingdom is not like that, where it's like here today, gone tomorrow. Let's just like endure it for a while. It's forever. The Son of Man is coming in glory to receive from the Ancient of Days a kingdom that will not pass away or ever will be destroyed. Amen? That's Christ. One more question, and then we'll gear up for chapter 10. And it's this. What does chapter 10 teach us about our responsibility to respond to God's word? Again, if you're like me, uh, you know, you read chapter 11, you whiz through it and you go, man, I didn't get anything out of that. That's why we, that's why we get together and we, we ponder and we take things slowly and we consider and ask questions. It's good for our souls to slow down. This answer won't surprise you. We've been saying it throughout Daniel. What does it, what does it teach us on how to respond? Hey, there's lots of kingdoms coming and going. And the only kingdom that's worth building is the Lord's. The only king worth um, serving and taking part in, in building it with him is our Lord Jesus. So the question would be, hey, which kingdom are you building? Is it yours? Is it your kingdom, your name, your fame, your reputation, your stuff? Or is it the Lord's? You are you setting yourself um, on a path to serve him, making all of your life, your decisions, all your conversations steer and point back to the Lord? Or does it always do a U-turn and direct to you, right? That's the question that we've continually brought up in the book of Daniel. So let's go to, let's go to chapter 10, okay? So chapter 10 um, is awesome. 11, again, all these wars happening where your eyes can see. And now the mask is taken off of what was really happening behind all those wars. Now, uh, we're going to have a men's event. And uh, it is good for a pastor to use a good masculine like illustration. So, fellas, have you guys seen the movie Gladiator? Okay, there's this part in Gladiator. It's almost the Christian movie. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. Okay. So like um, Maximus, like, man, such a solid guy, right? Okay. He's, he's fighting in the Roman Colosseum. He's a gladiator. He's winning like crazy. And um, the emperor, if you've seen the movie, uh, has this moment where he comes down to meet the gladiator. And this gladiator, he's been fighting for his freedom. And they've got a history, right? They've got a history to where... Watch the movie, okay? Okay. But the emperor comes down to give Maximus, like, honor and reward and, like, credit due to his name. But he doesn't know the gladiator. He's just named gladiator. And so Maximus... Um, is talking to him in his mask, and the emperor goes, take off your mask. So he takes it off, and all of a sudden, the emperor, like you can just see him visibly start shaking because that's his enemy. 
right? And what was before just a gladiator, now you can just even see him thinking, the emperor's going, I've got to deal with reality now. And Maximus has like this, this great line in there. He says, I'm I am Maximus, or whatever his name is, you know, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life for the next draw, right? <laughs> and the emperor has got to deal with the reality that he didn't quite know or understand until that moment. Same kind of thing in chapter 10. Let me like buzz through the first 11 verses of chapter 10. Here's Daniel. He's fasting and praying, okay? He sees a man in a golden sash in this vision, which we're going to get to that. Um, and then this man comes to him and he says to Daniel, let your eyes fall on chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. 13, buckle up. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Okay, here we go. Let's back up for a sec. All right, so this guy says to Daniel, hey, you prayed, I came, but I was held up for 21 days by the kingdom of Persia, but this Michael guy helped me out. Can you understand, if you're new to the scriptures, even if you're not, how kind of this gets a little weird? Yeah, okay, I got a couple nods. Like, this is weird. Okay, what in the world is going on? Okay, let's just, let's just talk about it. There's two characters that we meet. The first one is called the Prince of the Kingdom of Persia. You see that in there? And then the second one is the Chief Prince called Michael. Okay, so the Prince of Persia. This is a demon. He's working and he's influencing the mind of the King of Persia. Probably Satan himself, okay? And then you got the chief prince called Michael. And Michael is the archangel. So he's um, the head of the angels. I was actually named after this guy. So Michael means messenger. Um, so my folks said, we want, we want our boy to be a messenger of, of the good news of the gospel. Trying to live up to that by the grace of God. So here we go, church, angels and demons. Are you ready? Oh, I don't know. Are you guys ready? Okay, when I was in seminary, I don't know if I was ready for this either. I took an angelology and demonology class, okay? 13 weeks, three hours a week, with nine hours a week of study, okay? And when they handed me my binder for the class, it was like this thick. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? I was just thinking we're talking about like Isaiah and maybe a little bit of Michael and then like a couple. And hey, I've seen that Christmas movie where like the bell rings and people. Is that? No, no. And it was this long course on angels and demons. And I learned in like five seconds. Here's what I learned. There's a whole lot in the Bible about angels and demons. And we're starting to wade through it together as a church. So Daniel 10 makes it clear that angels and demons exist. And they fight against one another in combat. And that certain demons and certain angels are given specific tasks. And we learn from this passage that these demons um, and these angels are given tasks that, that relate to certain uh, aspects of government. And certain um, portions of the globe. So they're assigned geographic locations. They have tasks, right? And if the Lord of hosts, which we sing that song, Lord Saba, oath his name. That means the Lord of the host of angelic armies. If we're seeing that there's structure within the Lord, the Lord loves order. 
He's got like an army. We can certainly conclude that there is an organization or a strategy to this army. So we learn even in the Christmas story that that which angel comes to the people of God in Israel? It's Gabriel, right? Like they're, he's, he's like assigned to this nation. We, we see in this chapter that, that Michael is given the name chief angel or archangel, which like is, is a demarcation of position. So there's like regimes and officers within the angelic and demonic realm. Isn't that interesting? There's certain strategies of war that demons take on and perform. There's certain strategies that, and, that angels do to protect uh, countries, continents. It's wild. And it's real. Have you gotten that yet? This is a real thing. God's word takes it very seriously. And so should we. So here we see that this, this, um, this spiritual conflict is taking place in the heavenly realms. And, um, and we should say this. This is not just an Old Testament thing. Like, yeah, that, you know, that the New Testament affirms this all the time. So that is to say, angelic and demonic activity is not just an Old Testament thing or weird ideas that only wackos believe, but it's very biblical. Just read the Gospels. It doesn't take long for you to see that a primary part of Jesus's ministry dealt with demons. Satan and his legion of demons exercise significant influence over what Galatians calls this present age. That's a biblical phrase describing the time that we live in right now. It's described as an evil age. And Satan has much power in these times. And sadly, um, or we could say typically, this is stereotypes, okay? But we could just say the Church of America has responded to this information, these truths, in one of two ways. Ready? One way. Completely disregard it. It doesn't exist. And we're not going to talk about it because it makes everyone feel uncomfortable. Right? And so whenever a problem comes around and there's a notion or a suggestion that it might be spiritual attack or acti- like demonic activity, the, this, this like side or camp or response says, no, 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 that's just, that's just outrageous. Or the other response to angels and demons and spiritual warfare, spiritual attack is to swing the other way and to say, this is where the phrase like, the devil made me do it, right? Or completely becoming fixated on angelic and demon activity that you start studying it. And you're like studying the enemy so much that all you can think about is just demons and, and, and their activity. And you become absolutely infatuated with demons. You fixate on the angelic and demonic realm and you forget that we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Do you see the swinging? The reality, though, is that angels and demons are at war And we don't see it with our eyes, but we can see its effects and we can feel it and we can know that it's happening. Uh, The classic text uh, is Ephesians 6, 12. You don't have to go there, but just like jot it down in in the margin. It says, for we do not wrestle against what? That's right. Some of you have that memorized. Good. Flesh and blood, which would be? What would be flesh and blood? Yeah, that's right. Humans, like it's just stuff happening around us. We don't wrestle against that. Although we do, don't we? <laughs> That's like our, our, our thing. Um, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Tough to argue against that one. Um, do you see those words in there uh, where it says, this present darkness? Anyone ever read that book, This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti? Um, I'd like to read you an excerpt of, uh, of a portion of his book. Uh, he wrote it to believers to give them an idea about what it's like to experience spiritual attack. And, and you, you read this in the scriptures, but sometimes it's hard to like know how it can play out. And so this is a, a scene from one of his books, and it's the scene of a congregational meeting, okay? Um, it talks about the pastor. It talks about some conflict. I promise I'm not using this as a backdoor to like say um, anything about me or you or anything. Listen especially to how angels and demons are at work in this meeting, okay? Outside, even though it was still a half hour before the meeting, cars began to arrive. More than were usually there on Sundays. Several dark shadows kept a wary eye on everything from their perch atop the church roof, their stations around the building, or their appointed posts in the sanctuary. Lucius, a demon, more nervous than ever, paced and hovered about. What worried Lucius the most were the other spirits standing around and enemies of the cause, the host of heaven. When Lucius saw the Colemans come in from the front door, he was agitated. In the past, they had never been very strong against the defeats and discouragements Lucius ordered, and their marriage had just been dissolved. Then they aligned themselves with praying Bush, the pastor, hearing the words and becoming stronger all the time. Before long, they and others like them would be a real threat. But their arrival didn't cause Lucius as much agitation as the huge messenger of God who accompanied them. That would be Michael. As the Colemans found a seat, Lucius swooped down and accosted the new intruder. The angel said nothing. He only riveted his eyes on those of Lucius and stood firm. Triscal and Criani, angels, entered with Pastor Hank and his wife, Mary. Are you guys with me so far? Okay. It goes on where it talks about a vote has been taken, um, where whether or not the, the congregation would support biblical preaching. Are they going to hold fast to God's word or cowtail to the culture? Okay. So they're, they're, they're frustrated through this, this time, this congregation and um, it says that Guglio, the head angel, maybe he was Italian, I don't know. That's my, okay. um, watch this. He bent over the two men to have a look. These two men were, were uh, taking up the offering. Gordon Mayer was counting first silently, then handing the ballots to John Coleman. But he stealthily hid a few ye ballots in his palm. I said offering, I meant the vote. Ballots in his palm. Guglio checked to see how closely the demons were watching, then made a stealthy move himself, touching the back of Mayer's hand. A demon saw it and struck Guglio's hand and barred talons. But Guglio moved, uh, Guglio's move had succeeded in foiling Mayer's effort. The ballots dropped out of Mayer's hand, and John Coleman saw them. Just a little excerpt from that. Angels and demons working in conflict, warring for the people of God in this, in this meeting. Do you think he's that far off? In our natural, or maybe I could say Western American minds and hearts, we would say, yes, absolutely. But that's not a biblical response. I hope you're seeing that this morning. Uh, like, look at just Daniel 10, verses 20 through 21. Watch what, what um, the messenger says to Daniel. He says, then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. 
but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So in summary, we, we read these verses. We see the spiritual battles going on. We see that the son is battling with the prince of Persia and they're battling over, in this context, the soul of Cyrus, the leader there. And I think just what we need to hear as a church this morning is that this particular battle finds its way in the history books when Greece conquered Persia. Isn't that interesting? Just spiritual insight of what really happened historically that we see in, in, in chapter 11. Although, again, you won't hear that or read that in the history books at school. Now, from here, um, just not really shifting gears, but here's what I could do, okay? I could, um, I could launch into some personal stories of uh, what I've seen and experienced in the last two decades of ministry with regards to spiritual warfare, what I've seen um, living in different parts of the world, and how I believe personally how Satan and his demons are at work in Mainville and in Warren County in America. But if, if, if I did that, it would be captivating. But I would woo you emotionally and experientially um, towards my stories and what I think. And ultimately, you would leave with a subjective view of what to do about angels and demons. Should I do that? Rather, uh, let's stay in this chapter and see some objectives, tr objective truths. How, how, what happens here? How does Daniel respond? Um, uh, how would Christ respond here, right? So this, is, this chapter is not necessarily a manual on spiritual warfare but it really does give good context to uh, the surrounding circumstances. So here's a few observations. Number one, prayer is an absolute necessity in the Christian life. Okay, um, Daniel 10, verses 2 and 3. Daniel, in those days, he was mourning for three weeks. He ate no delicacies, no meat or wine enter his mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. For the full three weeks, this guy's doing a partial fast. Okay, so he's eating bread and water, but he's fasting from like all the sweets and stuff like that. He's, he's starving. He's denying himself so that, that when he experiences wants or desires or hunger, instead he'll hunger for God. And he, and he turns those hunger pains and those desires into prayer. Okay. So in the Christian life, we have got to be men and women of prayer. Uh, second one, second observation, when believers pray, they are immediately heard by God. So look at verse 12. This is just reiterating again. Uh, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that I set, that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been what? Heard. And I have come because of your words. Man, isn't that encouraging? If you've ever felt that, I just don't feel like when I, when I pray, like the Lord listens. You can bank on He's listening because God's word is true, sufficient for life and godliness. And He says right here that as soon as you set even your heart to pray, I heard you. So people of God, keep praying. God is listening to you. Next observation, demonic forces can delay answers to prayer. That's verse 13. 21 days, the prayers went up in our spatial understanding of prayer, praying and prayers went up. Uh, the sun was coming down and, and demons were ganging up on him up there. And uh, the son called in Michael, and there was this conflict. And after 21 literal 24-hour days, he came back down. Uh, 
I don't know how else we could come to a different conclusion than that. <laughs> it's real. Next, we see in this chapter that prayer is an exhausting work. Uh, verse 17, how can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Next one, God loves to strengthen the weary man or woman of prayer. This is verse 19. So we're just following this, this slow narrative. And it says that as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Just personal story, even like how, how the Lord ministered in my heart this week. I don't have this in my notes or anything, but yesterday uh, we were all driving to the soccer fields and we were on our minivan. And, and I don't know if like you think like this or about your pastor or whatever, but everything wasn't like hunky-dory in our minivan. We were at each other's throats, and we were late here. And this person was had a bad attitude, and then, and so before we're pulling in, I said, "Guys, we're going to pray, and we're going to set our hearts towards the Lord. We're about to step on this field and be a witness for Jesus Christ, and um, and we're, we don't have it all together. Jesus does. We're going to ask Him to strengthen us." We prayed, we trusted that he would, that we would be a good witness, that we wouldn't yell at the players or that we wouldn't, you know, throw any elbows. Those eight-year-olds can get nasty, can't they? Right? <laughs> and you know what? He was faithful. He did. He helped us. He strengthened us before we went on the soccer fields yesterday. It was a beautiful thing. Uh, next observation, overcoming demonic forces is a continual battle. That's the last observation. So notice, um, while there are some strange verse, verses in here that require a lot of explanation, really, um, you got to come away with going, this is a real thing, and it's a continual battle. But I want you to see something. That, that this passage, if you just look at the amount of ink that's going on, it doesn't allow you to be preoccupied with demons. It doesn't allow you to be fascinated with the devil and his demonic realms and activities. It, does, it, it won't lead you there, okay? Who gets the most ink in this passage? Yeah, that's right. Look at Daniel. It's just a little bit of it. But look, Daniel 10, verses 4 through 6. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, real river, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, sign of glory, with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. Verse 6, with body like barrel, his face like appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like gleam of burn, uh, burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. We said that Daniel is the Old Testament hub for prophecy. Revelation is the hub for prophecy in the New Testament. This, this same description is found in Revelation chapter 1. And it's talking about one guy. You know who he is? It's Jesus. In the Old Testament, we call him the Son. He's the second person of the Godhead in the Trinity. In the New Testament, we got his name. It's Jesus. This is Jesus here. Jesus comes to minister to Daniel. Now in this book, we've seen that like different angels have come to minister to Daniel. Um, they've revealed visions. The first time it was like for, the, for Babylon, right? Hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is what you need to know about your dream. Like the next time it was for the people of God, but this time it's for Daniel really personal. It's for Daniel and God's people. Isn't that good? I mean, isn't that our story? Isn't that the story of Jesus? Jesus, the Son of God, loves his children, and he knows them personally, and he takes time for each of them, for you and for me. 
And this guy, Jesus, is fighting demons. And he is very much so involved in spiritual warfare. So I think we can learn a lot from Jesus with regards to how to fight spiritual warfare. I think a slam dunk illustration, you're probably thinking about it already, is when Jesus was tempted by Satan himself. I remember the first time I really heard this story was when we were living in Africa. And I remember the teacher was, we were at a youth camp and we were explaining it. And I remember hearing it going, ah, that's it. That's how I need to fight and live my life and follow Jesus. Because Jesus, when bombarded by temptation, right? He doesn't just like take out a little squirt gun and go, here, I'm going to share a little Instagram post with you, Satan, about a nice quote. Or, you know what? Here, I'm going to just hang out with him and become really nice friends with him until he trusts me so that I can woo him because he'll, if he likes me, then he'll like... He takes out like the bazooka. And I remember hearing it in, in Swahili. The teacher said, Ime Andiqua. It is written. That's how Jesus fought Satan. With the word of God. The sword. He didn't like have it behind his back and be like, you know, you should really think. He said, it is written. And he shared with them Deuteronomy. I mean, come on. Who can fight Satan with Deuteronomy? I know, it's tough. Yeah, he did though. Jesus fought. We can use God's word as the, we can use it. We should use God's word as the most effective tool in fighting spiritual battles in our life. Amen? Church, you've got to trust the word. Don't just take my word for it. You have to trust what's going on here. Can I give you one passage of scripture to not just be ambiguous and say, so use the Bible if you feel attacked. Can I give you one passage in the New Testament? This is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. Listen to the glory and dominion and kingship and authority of Christ. I think I said authority twice. That he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all, and here we go, ready? Rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. Who's his? That's right, Jesus. And gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Church, are you feeling spiritually attacked? Think about it. Are you experiencing spiritual warfare? You need to look at the message that the son gives Daniel if you're feeling attacked. You need to look at what Jesus told Daniel in chapter 10. Let's look at it together. Verse 19. Daniel 10, verse 19. This is an awesome verse. This is what Jesus says. And he said, Oh man, greatly loved. How awesome is that for a start, huh? <laughs> hey, anyone feeling attacked in here? And you've gone like this? I'm feeling attacked, parentheses. I don't feel loved. Oh man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Jesus tells him three things. Fear not. Friends, if this is the first time you've heard all this weird stuff about like demons and angels, and you are you're like, you're like, oh man, he read that like story about the congregational meeting, and like, is there a demon behind this like wall? And I don't know if I'm gonna be able to sleep tonight. Look at what Jesus says to you and Daniel. Fear not. So don't believe, Jesus, don't believe me. Believe Jesus. 
Okay, don't walk out of here going, I don't know if I agree with Newman. Fear not. Fear is not the pattern or the mark of the Christian. Although we experience it, don't we? Fear not. Why? Because I win, Daniel. Number two, he says, peace be with you. You can have peace. You don't have to be anxious in your heart. You can trust him. And number three, he says, be strong. Be strong. Hey, what's the opposite of strong? He says, don't be weak. Be strong, people. Like, even though you might feel weak or helpless in these situations, even if you might feel like you're being attacked, like you're going through spiritual warfare, you, can, you don't not necessarily know how to identify it all the time. I woke up with a migraine this morning. Was that a demon going? Or did I just not drink enough yesterday when I was doing yard work? I don't know. I'm, we're talking about spiritual warfare. Was it a demon? I got up, I drove to Kroger, and I bought ibuprofen, and I took three of them. I feel a lot better. And I prayed. So if that's a model for you, I don't know. Be strong. Okay? What do you do, though? Like, what do you mean be strong? Do the right thing. Put your confidence in the Lord and be strong and seek to obey him. Last verse. Watch this. Surprise ending. Okay? You're like, all right, how's Mike? How's the pastor dude going to end this sermon on spiritual warfare? Watch the surprise ending in the scripture. You would think, if it's on spiritual warfare, is he going to like, I don't know, teach us how to do an exorcism or something? Or is he going to like go all... What does Daniel do? 11 verse 1. Daniel wakes up and serves others. Watch this. After being strengthened from the Lord, he says, And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. <laughs> Look at that. Isn't that awesome? Hey, are you feeling attacked? Stand up and serve someone else. Pray, be strengthened by the Lord, and get your eyes off of yourself and serve. What a great model of spiritual warfare. How do you fight? Right here. Are you with me? You should not leave this text today afraid or scared. We've covered that. You should not leave discouraged or confused with direction. Discouraged, you might be like this. Well, maybe there's something wrong with me. Like, I'm not casting out demons or performing like crazy spiritual uh, demon activity warfare stuff. Maybe that's for the super spiritual or something. Maybe I just need to engage in ministry more, become like a better person, or be a more qualified Christian. Maybe that's it. Nope. You don't need to be discouraged. That is not the purpose of this text. So when wars occur, like the one happening in Russia and Ukraine right now, or the war inside your head, or the war in our church, of conflict. We would be silly to think that we're, we're going to exist and never have conflict. Or the war is going on at your work or within your marriage or whatever. The teenagers that are headlong into sin. Make no mistake, the evil one is at work. Him and his legion of demons. But don't let for a minute this think that you do not have any responsibility or ownership in your sin. But in the same breath, don't think that there's no outside influence or attack on your life. <laughs> so friends, pray, be strengthened.
and go serve. Joe, would you come up and lead us in the last song? There you are, my friend. Um, he's going to sing uh, the first song that we started out with, which is that, that we're going to see a victory and the battle belongs to the Lord. And we're going to sing that a few times over. Um, why? Not because we just love repetition, but because we want to encourage you to not hear God's word and say that was nice information, but we want the spirit of God to apply it in your life. And so would you find that war, like the, the spiritual war that's going on in your life? And would you ask the Lord to draw near? Would you ask the Lord to minister to you? Would you ask the Lord to strengthen you, to help fight, to help serve? Humble yourself before him. And then when you're ready, join on in. Thank mm-hmm. you.